This episode is in partnership with T-File. T-File is a queer woman-owned business focusing on single-origin artisan Chinese teas sourced directly from family farms. Founder Annie grew up in southern China, immersed in kung fu tea traditions. Based in Oakland, California, Annie creates a collection of tea and teaware and hosts workshops to connect with those interested in tea as a way of life. Most commercial teas and tea bags are machine-picked and factory-produced. Aside from hand-picked, hand-crafted, loose-leaf teas, T-Fowl has Phoenix Oolong tea bags for those who want quality teas on days they have no access to proper teaware or time. And to reduce waste, Annie uses recycled and reusable material for packaging. Starting at the end of November, T-Fowl is offering seasonal subscription programs for three months where you would receive two teas, a zine, and a virtual workshop with Annie and other T-Fowls every month. When you subscribe for three months, you will receive a $50 mutton jade porcelain gaiwan. This subscription is a perfect gift for the holidays, something interactive and educational. If you want to try out Annie's curated teas, you can use T-File to get 10% off on her offerings. Visit her website at tfile.com. That's T-E-A-P-H-I-L-E dot com to learn more. And follow T-File Life on Instagram to stay tuned about her future tea programs. Hey everyone, welcome to our podcast. I'm Sally. I'm Linda. I'm Ming. And we're moving along. Alright, welcome back to our podcast. Today we'll be exploring the Bermuda Triangle of Asian media. (laughs) So... We will each be giving a special lecture on a specific area of Asian media and um, also react to each other's lectures. So stay tuned for that. But on to our weekly recap. Um, Linda, how was your week? Um, I think the thing to note is that Sally gave me a new hairstyle <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> I mean, new hairstyle might be drastic because she just dyed the bottom half of my hair brown. But it's nice. It's definitely like the most dramatic thing I've dyed it because when I did it before, it didn't really turn out. But my hair is like brown on the end. It looks really nice. And what else? Oh, so I did a reunion internship with... Um, the people over the summer and one person said they listen to our podcast but only for the weekly update <laughs> and then they just skip everything else oh and i feel like most people of actually listen to these that. yeah that's true so i know i was like i'm bashful but i also i'm glad that you listened to it um so that was nice to chat earlier today and Alright, I think the other thing I want to bring up is that I've been playing Hades a lot. I got a new game for the Switch. It's like, um, it's like a fighting game kind of, but you're trying to, you, so you're the son of, oh my god, who's like that <gasps> Wait, Greek god in the, when, Linda, Greek huh? mythology? Linda, yeah. you are, you're literally Stefan. He, he was obsessed with that game for like a good few months. <laughs> we are one. Anyway, Wait, maybe I, should I knew I recognized too. that name. Yeah. Oh no, no. It's really fun. You should try it. Because I don't use my Switch for Animal Crossing anymore, <laughs> but this is mm. like, it gives me that rush. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're trying to, you're the son of Hades, and you're trying to fight your way out of the underworld. And the story building is really nice, and the 
characters and the art, the graphics are also really exciting to watch. And they basically show you around the whole underworld and you get to talk to the different gods and goddesses. Um, Mm. And you're like this kid who's like mad at his dad. So you get like a little (laughs) bit of the character um, insight too. How did you find the game? Like, where did you hear of it to play it? So I saw a lot of animations on Twitter um, when they were working Mm. on the art and it looked really nice. And there's this one scene where he's like brushing his hair (laughs) out of the blood and it's like super (laughs) iconic. And then the dude who did it, he's like, um, I think a queer artist and the title of the storyboard is literally like sexually brushing blood out of hair and rising from from the underworld and stuff. So Mm. I think the art starting out was already pretty good. Mm. I'll definitely check it back out. <laughs> I've been looking for a new game to play because I'm bored. COD isn't doing it anymore. No, I'm so bored. Animal Crossing. It's all dead. <laughs> On to new things. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mink, you are next. On to new things. Um Yeah, I guess I would have to say my highlight was probably getting my bangs cut by <laughs> Sally. Styled. <laughs> And cut by Sally Salon. Yeah, that's really all I have to update. It's kind of... Okay, I kind of understand what Linda is saying, where it kind of does change your personality, because now I'm trying to do a middle part. <laughs> and it's like, I haven't had a middle part since I was an actual child. So this is like a whole new, like, identity. <laughs> but I thought... Yeah, I thought I was um, going to be able to show it off at work over Zoom or whatever. But for some reason, I guess people... Like, everyone canceled their meetings. Like, even though we were working Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday before Thanksgiving, like, everyone has canceled. Like, even my one-on-one was canceled, so I have no one to show it off to. My mom didn't even notice. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much all I've been up to. Um, I'm getting back into a new book to read, so maybe I'll talk about that later. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to eating on Thursday, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Okay, I guess I'm next. Um, same as Ming, I'm looking forward for our break because I really need a break from work. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, just, I'm so excited to have two extra days off on my weekends this week. Um, but for my weekly update, so last week um, when we talked with Liz, I was activated by Ming and Liz because I heard both of them are going to Chinese school. I mean, I knew Ming was going to Chinese school, but I heard Liz was also going mm-hmm. to Chinese school. So then I was like, maybe I need to start improving my Chinese too. So then I looked into like Chinese classes around like the area or like online. Had no luck in finding because I looked specifically for Cantonese classes. I had no luck. So then I looked into this website. Um, it's called like Canto Lounge. And they wrote this whole hmm. article about, like, um, Cantonese resources for, um, I think it's for non-Mandarin speakers or something like that. But anyway, there was, like, a long list of, like, media resources that I could use to kind of improve my Cantonese. And I found this podcast called D-I-U or D-U podcast. And it's like it stands for daily issues uncovered. But anyways, um, it has this corner, this like Cantonese corner of the podcast where I guess they kind of just talk about like certain topics um, in Cantonese. 
And mm. I mean, like, I already know how to speak Cantonese, but it's just nice to like hear people use it in conversation. Mm-hmm. And um, they also mm-hmm. have this corner about Chinese idiom or Cantonese idioms, which are really interesting to me because like Cantonese has a lot of like weird idioms. I, when you translate it to English, it doesn't make any sense. But then it's like it's like random animals and like random words put together. Mm-hmm. But then in Cantonese, mm-hmm. it makes sense for some reason. So that's fun to listen to. And then I also started this really good Chinese drama, which is not Cantonese, it's in Mandarin, but it's this like um, historical drama called The The Untamed. It was aired last mm. year. And I told Ming and Linda about this already, but I'm like really <laughs> into it now. <laughs> like, um, I'll talk more about it. In more my... than startup? Okay, not more than start. Probably on the equal level as startup it's oh i really like this drama because i don't have to wait i can like binge the episodes oh yeah and it has a lot of it has a lot of episodes i think 50 episodes so i've got a long way to go but it's really good so far and i like um it's been a while since i watched a drama that's set in like historical age so it's fun to see that Mm -hmm. too maybe i'll pick it up and start watching it after i finish my yeah (laughs) i thought i would learn more chinese by watching it but it's kind of hard because the people talking like historical Chinese, which is really different mm. from what you say now. So, but it's so yeah, fun to watch. Par- when I was trying to look for stuff to watch to like learn or like just hear it more mm-hmm. Chinese, like Mandarin, they said that like historical drama is like the highest difficulty because they use a bunch of like flowerly, yeah. flowerly language. And then they were like suggesting like, oh, depending on what level you are, you can watch this, this or this <laughs> on Netflix. And I can't watch any of it. So, oh yeah that's pretty cool mm-hmm. yeah but I've been, is the entire oh i've been struggling like because i want to learn like i want to train my ear to learn or like listen to the chinese but then at the same time i have to read the subtitles but then the subtitles don't also they don't always like correspond word to word to what they're saying so then i'm like um, having cognitive dissonance while watching this yeah film. but mm-hmm. it's fine <laughs> it's fine i mean culturally it's still fun to see like yeah what it was like back then mm-hmm. okay cool i guess that's the start to our media <laughs> review da, da, da. all right so we are this is the start of our bermuda triangle of asian media exploration um and <laughs> i'm the first to talk so my topic is all about um asian tv series so um just a little re- intro into why i want to talk about asian films and tv series is back in episode nine of our podcast what in our to all the asians on screen episode um this is all the way at the beginning of the year when Mm. the the academy awards were just happening um we talked about how proud we were um for all the asian representation on screen and specifically about parasites like record-breaking win as the first non-english um language film in oscars history um so in that episode i talked about how i was like impressed by the film parasite but i wasn't like my mind wasn't blown by it because i had been exposed to so many great like productions from the asian film industry before so i thought this would be a perfect opportunity Mm -hmm. to share all my favorite um films and tv series specifically east asian um films because that's just what i've been um consuming so far and um 
in the great in the words of the great um director Bong Joon Ho, I think he said this. Um, he said the barrier. <laughs> he said the barrier <laughs> for consuming non English media is just the one centimeter tall subtitles. So. <laughs> Anyways, with sub- basically with subtitles, you can mm-hmm. enjoy yeah. any type of media. There's no limitations. So, yeah. So the, I guess the specific specific form of media that I've have the most experience in is K dramas, of course. So this would be a very exhaustive list of K dramas, and a very small list of other kind of media, <laughs> other language medias, but. Let me give you the breakdown of all my favorite K-dramas. So we have several genres. um, (laughs) Mainstream, which is like the most popular K-dramas that just like everyone um, in general liked. And then I have some that fall into fantasy, which is like supernatural, ghosts, spirits, um, mythical creatures, stuff. Um, And then I have a youth segment, which is like... I guess the, the they're still like students in school or college and talking about like coming of age um, themes. So we'll get more into that later. Um, I might add some more mm-hmm. if I have time. But to start off with the mainstream dramas, um, <laughs> my top recommendation, which is also like probably a drama everyone has already seen if you're into K-dramas, but Crash Landing on You, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. I think it was a really yeah. good drama yeah. because it had the like the typical K drama tropes where I don't know like the rich CEO um, meets like a normal person that's not rich, but it also it was really cool to see like all the um the culture of North Koreans because I feel like it's not really covered in media. Um, I mean, no one really knows how North Koreans are living. No one really travels there. So it was really cool. I don't know how accurate it is. Like I've seen some reviews on YouTube where it's like a North Korean defector reviewing how accurate the portrayal of North Koreans in this drama was. Oh. And, um, it So the producers of the mm-hmm. drama also like, they also consulted um, actual North Korean defectors in the production of this drama to try to make it more accurate. So stuff like um, details like North Koreans wearing that um, pin, the red pin, and like, um, I guess like mm. having mm-hmm. electricity outages and stuff like that. Um, that part was pretty, according to them, it was pretty accurate. So that was cool. It was like really interesting to see the Ri Jong Hyuk. Um, it was like interesting to see him cooking in that like really ancient <laughs> cookware. Like he was like, um what was he like when he was making coffee and like cutting the noodles by hand and stuff like that that was really cool um but yeah in general it was a good story and had a little bit of everything like it had suspense had romance um had comedy um so yeah it was a well-rounded drama for me and oh my rating what would you rate it i think i would do you have to nine out of system yeah, I feel like it's hard to give a ten out of ten. Okay. I don't know. I just what feel is like it missing? It's hard to yeah. give it to give anything a ten out of ten. Yeah, she wants to reserve it. She, reserve she's got to reserve that extra my favorite drama, <laughs> which will be at the end. <laughs> no, it's at the end. Okay. All right, but let's next, hear it. <laughs> um, okay, I'll just go into the next category, which is 
fantasy. So this is also a very popular genre in K-dramas because they have a lot of legends and like, um, I guess people really like also hearing stories about like ghosts and spirits, like what people do in their afterlife, stuff like that. So um, I'm going to have to give two recommendations for this category because I have, I have two that really like. So the first one is Goblin, <laughs> which is also like a pretty a pretty mainstream drama. It. A lot of people liked it. Um, it's about this guy who, um, he's like, basically he's a goblin, so he's like, he doesn't age, so he's been here since like the ancient times, um, and he has this like, duty, or, I don't know, I forgot, he like committed this crime, and then he was punished by having to do some spiritual work, or, you know, like collect the spears or something like that, and then his friend, the Grim Reaper, I love their, like, the dynamic between the Grim Reaper and the Goblin is really fun to watch. And they're all, like, kind of old Ajushis. Like, they're around their 40s or late 30s, like, the actors. But they still give such a fun and, like, comedic <laughs> um, and comedic vibe <laughs> to the drama. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, it's really fun. It's a, like, same thing as Crash Landing on You. It was, like, a well-rounded drama where it has suspense, romance, comedy, everything got it and mm-hmm. the chemistry between the actors um, not just romantic chemistry was really good so highly recommend it the next one um that also falls into fantasy is hotel de luna so this one also has to do with like spirits um and it's basically mm-hmm. i guess the theme is that like whenever you have a fantasy fantasy drama there's always some person who's been on earth for like very long time so in this case it's the girl um she's like this owner of this hotel for spirits that are about to um, pass over into the afterlife so like i guess spirits of people who just died um they stay and like um resolve their last um regrets or yeah just like resolve their last regrets and conflicts in this hotel and she kind of helps them out, gives them... She has, like, special powers to grant their wishes. But she's also, like, kind of capitalistic. So she wants their money <laughs> in return for helping them. And, like, she's... um. So the main... The female lead is IU. She's just really popular. Yeah, she's really popular. I and I really it. like her. Um, she's a good actress. And um, her chemistry with the... Like, the male lead was also pretty good. And the male lead, this is, like, a normal human who got roped into helping her out because of this incident when he was younger. And basically, he's, like, the manager. He becomes, like, the manager of the hotel because he's, like, he's the only person who can do, like, human things for the hotel. Like, like, um, I don't know, like, (laughs) financial things for the bank or whatever. Or, like, meeting with other humans stuff like that so and then they the two like fall in love eventually and then it's a sad ending because the girl has to leave because she's not actually like supposed to be here because she's she her real like human life was a long time ago and like it's past her years whatever okay on to the next <laughs> drama genre okay. <laughs> wait let's, what is your reaction? let's react to this Okay, I heard Hotel Luna was very visually appealing. Mm -hmm. Like, their outfits are very elaborate. had a different outfit for literally every scene. (laughs) But it was very, like, cinematographically, it was very, like, beautiful and pleasing to watch. And because um, it's also, like, a fantasy fantasy kind of thing, like, fantasy Fantasy? setting, 
yeah oh, the like the hotel was really pretty and like when um when they're flashing back to like the olden times like that that stuff was pretty pretty i don't know it was like well shot and like yeah yeah high mm-hmm. production yeah mm-hmm. high production okay. value mm. the next genre i have is youth dramas which is my favorite yeah. genre honestly because i really like these dramas that like make you feel good after you want <laughs> to like i like suspense and like crime and all that mm. but i can only watch so much like i need the youth drama the happiness and like bubbly feeling <laughs> i don't know so it make me like that really gets me into the drama so the first one i'm gonna recommend is oh, both of these actually are like my top k dramas of all time so the first one you already know <laughs> what is wow. it Linda? i know it i know it <laughs> yes we're lifting fairy fairy kim bokju it's my favorite of all time like I think that's also why I was so into body pump because I was like, I'm weightlifting fairy. <laughs> but <laughs> it's basically a sports drama about um, the main character. Um, the girl is a weightlifter in college, I think. And she's trying to get, like everyone in college is trying to get into the national team. Mm-hmm. And then the male lead is a swimmer. And the two like met in the past, mm. and then they meet again in college, and they have like a really fun dynamic, I think. Um, and okay, the female lead is like I'm glad that she like rose throughout the drama because at the beginning of the drama, she liked the guy's brother, and he was not it. <laughs> yeah, the doctor. Oh, he was a oh, doctor. Yeah, I don't right? know why. She was just like very into him okay. because I guess of his superficialness, um, like his money. I don't know, like being mm. smart and like nice. Okay, that's not superficial, but yeah, he was cute to her, but yeah, come on, she didn't know anything. <laughs> but <laughs> anyways, yeah, it was okay. <laughs> it was also like a lot about character development because, um, you can see like her relationship with her family, especially her dad, who's like a single parent. You can see it like change throughout the series, and mm. um, she also like her relationship with the sport too changes throughout the series. And um, there's this time when she goes into a slump and kind of questions like why she's even doing weightlifting. So it's like a coming of age story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, relatable. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Do you have any reactions to this? Wait, I have a question because I guess out of us three, I'm the newest mm-hmm. to K-dramas. I've only watched a few. But how, I don't know if you'll get to this later, but are all of your, the ones that you've watched, do they all have some type of romantic um, like plot or yeah. subplot? Like, is that like just a thing in mm-hmm. the K-drama? Um, it is a very mm-hmm. universal thing in K-dramas because, I mean, it's something everyone can mm-hmm. relate to because everyone is like everyone would be interested in romance i think um but there are some that i've watched that don't have any Mm. romance at all and but i didn't my list is too long to include them so i only included my top ones (laughs) but there are some really good ones that don't have romance that's the main theme but yeah okay my last one for k-dramas is reply in 1988 and this is a really interesting K-drama. Actually, mm. it's a whole series. So there's Reply 1997, 1988, and 1994. But 1988 is, holds a special place in my heart because um, 
just because of the dynamics between the characters so in all of them there's this common theme of like family and there's always like a friend group that the story surrounds but in this one i think the chemistry between the friend group was really good and each um each person in the friend group really had their own story and develop character development which i really liked um but i did not like the ending so basically it's like the typical k-drama trope where the girl has like two options and everyone's like rooting for like either this like guy a or guy b and everyone is rooting for this one guy but then she ended up with the other guy so i was very upset but it was a good drama um overall because like like weight fairy a uh, weightlifting fairy kimoju you could see her growth um because the story starts when she's a um high school student and she has like um she fights her with her sister a lot fights with her parents a lot and then you can see as she matures she like kind of like understands what her family is doing for her and like she mm. yeah basically she matures and becomes a beautiful young woman <laughs> um and then the story ends oh. with her like after yeah as like a like ends when she has like a job and like is settled down and like successful and basically mm. it follows her youth so it was really warm drama to watch oh. um very family family friendly and yeah it was funny too <laughs> Yeah, I feel like most K dramas, or at least not the ones I've watched, are like all what Americans yeah. would consider like family friendly. Like even <laughs> when they hold hands, it's like such a big deal, which I think is really I mean, um, yeah. But you're like warm. so emotionally invested that if they do like a yes. small peck, you're like oh my gosh, yeah, and yeah. Like wild. 1988. Yeah. Okay, not to get too much spoilers, but like the height of the drama was like, or for me, the height. It wasn't even really the height of the drama, but it was like near even near the beginning actually um the girl and the guy that i was shipping her with they were like on this field trip and they're running away from like some administrator for the school because they like broke some rule and they were like face to face next to each other in this back alleyway and then they were just staring at each other they weren't even touching but that like made my heart thump (laughs) so Mm. <laughs> yeah it's a special feeling i guess <laughs> but I, I sent this tiktok i don't know if you guys saw it but <laughs> about like the american dramas versus korean Wait, dramas like it. american <laughs> dramas it, so for the american dramas the person was like um they'll be having sex on the first episode and then you'll just be like scrolling on your phone like yawning and then um for k-dramas <laughs> they'll like hold hands on like the last episode and you're like crying with them <laughs> but yeah that's, that sums it up <laughs> i mean that's not wrong i don't mm. know how they i don't understand how they do it but like the way that they mm. maybe because they like just really drag it out and like the suspense and the they build up the character so yeah. much that you become so invested like i think they're really good at making you really invested not even in like the main characters but i feel like a lot of times my favorite characters in the yeah. few that i've watched are like the side characters or like the funny friends like yeah I don't know, there's character mm-hmm. development like everywhere yeah mm-hmm. like in kim bok the friends are really good mm-hmm. um like the two friends of the main girl but also there's like other stuff that happens like they're yeah. in the hospital or like they get amnesia so there's like <laughs> other things to get I your think, heart racing yeah like what ming said what mm-hmm. makes a good k-drama is not just the main leads but also the story as a whole like 
everyone else's storyline also has to contribute to the story i guess and yeah that's where some dramas mm. fall short as well <laughs> but anyways uh oh. to my i have two miscellaneous dramas so these are not um, korean dramas i just wanted to give some like other types of dramas out there so the first one is actually a netflix series uh, well both of them are netflix series but it's a british series but it features japanese main characters so it's called giri haji mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if you've seen it on netflix it was tr- on the top page for a while i think last year but it's basically about this guy it's kind of dark it's like a dark crime drama kind of like mystery something like that but it's about this um guy mm-hmm. who's a detective in tokyo and he goes to london to search for his brother who like everyone thought he was dead but his brother um he like ran away to tokyo because he murdered like this nephew of this yakuza so deals into like the japanese yakuza and also um london like criminals Mm. so basically he goes to london um and tries to find his brother and then he also like learns about all the like dark crimes of like the i don't know like the london crime world (laughs) but he meets um (laughs) it's it's kind of dark honestly like there isn't that much comedy which is why i did not finish it (laughs) but i think if you you're into it i think if you're into (laughs) this kind of stuff you would like it um but he like like makes friends with like a um like police in london and he also meets this sex worker who interestingly interestingly he his the sex worker um helps him to find more connections to search for his brother and then i like this drama because it also well it's not a drama i guess like a tv series i liked it because it also followed the story of his daughter who went with him to london because in tokyo she was kind of like um she was kind of like a recluse and she was like rebellious but then when once she moved to london she kind of like opened herself up and she hung out more with a sex worker who kind of introduced her to like um like kind of taught her how to have fun i guess and she like explored herself Mm -hmm. um because she had all the free time like while her dad was like doing detective stuff she would like explore london with um the sex worker friend and yeah she like met other people and like also so there's also that kind of like character development there too and yeah it was a dark series was the oh continue so i think it was half and half because when the guy was talking to his family members they're talking in japanese but then when they talk to people in london they're speaking english yeah oh and also okay um, an interesting thing that I that this drama talked about is like the burden of I guess taking care of your like the aging family as well as like the younger family at the same time. So mm. like while his mm. daughter is having problems in school, like back in Tokyo, um, his daughter is having problems in school, but at the same time, like his parents were getting old, and his father actually was like slowly dying because of. 
I don't know. He was a smoker, so he had like mm. he was coughing all the time. And then while he was in London, his like father passed away, and then he was having pressure from his mom and his wife to like come back to Tokyo and not search for his brother. So it was like this balance of like caring for both like spectra of the mm-hmm. family. I don't know. It was it was interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Okay, the last series is the one that I'm watching now. <laughs> Um, it's called The Untamed, <laughs> like I said in the opening, but it's, again, another supernatural series where it talks about, um, so it follows the adventures of this, these two soul cultivator, um, people. So basically there's like these people in, it's set in China, but, it, um, there's like these f- major families, I think like five major families. And there's like these soul cultivator people who have like spiritual powers to kind of cleanse evil spirits away from people. And yeah, basically they just have magical powers (laughs) and uh, it falls to the adventure of these two guys who like go through, who travel around um, China (laughs) to solve a series of mysteries that link to a tragic event in the past. This is from Wikipedia. While the original... Okay, so... um, (laughs) An interesting thing about this drama is it's based off of the... It's based off of a web novel. And the web novel, like, has this, like, explicit romance Mm. between the two male main characters. But then the adaptation in this, like, film... Or in this TV show adaptation, it was censored. But it still has, like, homoerotic subtext. So... I don't know. I haven't, mm. I'm not sure. I haven't finished the series, so I'm not sure, like, what's going to become of it. But I see it. I mean, and, do you see it I mean, the already? two main characters are cute together. Okay. Like, so, okay, it's like, they're like a balancing <laughs> act because one of the main characters is, like, very social and outgoing extrovert. Um, he's, like, friends of everyone, and he's, like, very curious about the other main character, I guess. I don't know why, but he's, like, always had an interest like like not like platonically at first i guess um and him and then the other male lead is like super quiet like he says four words (laughs) per episode um he's like he has no expression on his face but also he cares about the other male lead like secretly (laughs) or quietly cares for him so it's like it's cute to see them together because like the dynamic between the two is funny yeah Mm. that's all i got so um, that one's a well, 10 I haven't finished 10. yet, so I don't know. Wait, but honestly, do a the 10 beginning, 10. I was a little bit unsure about this series because the timeline is kind of weird. It talks about what happened in the like what's happening, or okay, so it goes to the present, I guess, and then it goes it jumps um back to the past after like four episodes so i've been in the past for a long time like most of the series but the beginning starts off um set in like a time that's like in the future of what i'm watching right now so like i was very confused when i started the series and because they didn't like really introduce the two characters like they didn't say how they knew each other and they acted like they didn't know each other at first I was like, what is going on? But then now that they're saying the backstory, I'm like getting more into it. So I don't know. It's, it's a weird mm. timeline. Interesting. I don't know if that's a, a general theme or like, I don't know if I can generalize that of Asian dramas or media, but that is something 
that I, that is again noticeable mm-hmm. about like i guess korean drama because that's all i have to reference but they do a lot of like mm-hmm. um yeah jumps or like flashbacks or they but they do it in a way that it's not like like jarring to see yeah it's not jarring or um mm-hmm. it's not like all dramatic and like flashback it's just like kind of like they just yeah they show the past and they switch back pretty easily and then another thing that i liked is that how they um they show things from like different angles or like a lot of times the end scene of one episode will be super dramatic and something will happen and then in the next episode at the beginning Mm. they'll show it but from like someone else's perspective or like from a different camera angle and (laughs) And it's not dramatic at all yeah and it took me a while to get used to that but like i really like that about it or they always have like after the credit they have like an additional scene that adds like yeah like Mm -hmm. i don't know it's like all these little tidbits that (laughs) make it a lot like a little better i guess Mm -hmm. yeah good list sally good yeah anime has that too like they have obas a lot (laughs) like original video animations i think think like extra episodes dramas Mm -hmm. and anime to do flashbacks too and have like extensive flashbacks where the past really like plays into who they are as in the present. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah. Or there's always mm-hmm. like some person from their past that like comes back and it's like full circle and well, I, I love why can't real life nuggets. be like that? Mm-hmm. It's like a red string of fate. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess to conclude your your talk, how many you said you watched a lot of dramas. How many? I guess. I guess we could just say K dramas. How many K dramas do you oh think you watched? Like, if I had lifetime? to guess, probably if over hundred. But honestly, I don't know because I have a wow. lot that I started or like I watched them halfway through and I never finished. Um, but there's still like I think I've hmm. seen the majority of the popular ones. So starting from when I was a high school teen up until now. <laughs> <laughs> we should mm. put your whole list, list oh on gosh. our website so it's fully curated <laughs> by sally oh the appendix <laughs> yeah compile it okay mm. linda <laughs> oh, this is such a hard transition okay so i think my thing relates to sally and that is still talking about i guess cape culture i guess the how you wave mm-hmm. or i think that's what it's called because you can't like understate the i guess um prevalence of k-pop k-dramas in our society today mm-hmm. so i'm going to talk about my paper which was recently published it's a study on lgbtq asian american k-pop fans and how they interact with the media and how they interact with the fandom. And wait, let me pull it up. <laughs> Sally got me all excited talking about K dramas that I completely lost where you have to pivot. My thing went. Yeah. Pivot your thoughts. Okay. So basically I started this study three years ago, but as Ming pointed out, I think on my Instagram I was thinking yes. about doing this since high school. Or I've had a feeling that it was always so interesting why there are so many queer asian american fans of k-pop or queer elements in k-pop and it's like this new phenomenon that i wanted to explore further um especially when i was kind of exploring 
more in terms of gender and sexuality and identity during like high school and early college. So I started this study, I think, February of freshman year. So it's been a good three years and it got published, I think, two weeks ago. So it's a huge chunk of time, I think. I mean, a long time I was just waiting for the results, but it's just like um, cool to see it come out. So I think I went over the premise a little bit that K-pop is increasingly popular in Western media and also within our social circles and in media. So I wanted to investigate that and hopefully document what this phenomenon is and what people were feeling about it because I think the voices of fans are kind of understated, especially in academic study. So it was a way to bring them to light and also maybe validate them to other people who may relate. So... (laughs) Okay, so I wanted to focus on studying the representation and reception of this demographic to further understand identity development and risk factors in terms of um, mental health and just being a feeling of belonging in general as a marginalized population and protective mechanisms and resilience as it relates to the media. So K-pop has the potential to become a distinctive meaning-making platform for Asian Americans, especially as it stands on the in the middle between Asian, the Asianness, like that whole, um, I guess, motherland type thing, and its connection to American elements. So it's kind of a hybridized media. Um, and a lot of Asian Americans in previous research see cultural closeness through K-pop because it's a digestible way to consume Asian culture because it's so widely available on YouTube and social media. And once you get into it, you can watch things that have subtitles and you get to kind of take a peek through the culture in that way. Um, and also, the, I guess the queer elements come in in a variety of ways, but the main way it stands out is through the behavior and appearance of male K-pop idols because they have all these feminine elements like they wear makeup they sometimes wear like flowy clothing or feminine clothing and some of their behaviors are not like super yeah um like white masculine yeah but in k-pop and in that world they're um they're valued for that kind of feminine behavior and then they're seen as masculine because of it and not despite of it um And it was cool to see that representation of men being valued for those types of characteristics in a way that we don't really see in Western media. Um, So that was kind of the introduction to the intersections of Asian American identity and queer identity in K-pop. But as we know, the industry is super problematic and while K-pop itself can't inherently be a sort of queer feminist or progressive space, um, it can serve as a platform for fans to explore their desires and identities, and they can process and kind of reorient the media for themselves in a transformative way. 
the methodology is mm. we interviewed 16 different um, LGBTQ Asian American K-pop fans. And there was a large variety of identities because even though these characteristics are pretty specific and we also did a survey that you had to be familiar with k-pop and not just like interacting with it on a passing level so these people were like identified as fans themselves and we did like interviews with them over the phone or in person and then we coded these interviews through something called grounded theory which the premise is that the results are grounded in the experiences of the participants. So we want to keep our findings as close to the real experiences of people as possible. So if you see through my results, we keep uh, quotes directly from the people that we interviewed to kind of exemplify the ideas presented and maintain their voice and integrity throughout the data coding process. So... I had a couple people to help me code things and we did them together over the course of a year and it was a super long time because I had to transcribe everything and that takes a million years to do with 16 hours of interviews. Mm. Um, So qualitative study is like a whole process but I think it's super worth it in the end because you can see the different... um, I guess connections form through people's stories and you get to kind of piece it together from a high perspective that you have. So from the results that emerged, there was a few different categories that we broke them down into. So it was social support through K-pop fandom as a community. And then people talked about how representations of queer and Asian American identity can be problematic in K-pop, and this is kind of like queer baiting or um, unhealthy body image, um, and also how, I guess, exploitative the industry is in general, and how it kind of exploits fans by um, putting forth like a queer image for the for the shock factor or for the popularity, and it's not genuine. So, the fact that the participants brought this up kind of showed how grounded they were in the realities of being a marginalized population and they want substantial support for these communities. So even though fandom is a way to kind of reflect these images and make it their own, we still need like material and tangible support as well. So that was one theme that came up and then the last theme is fan labor as agency or how fans can kind of take these representations or the canon presented to them and use it to write their own stories or process their own emotions um okay and a lot of people talked about how inspiring it was to see k-pop media because it inspired them to i think work harder in a way that wasn't problematic because you know the model minority myth is that asian americans are supposed to be super successful but if you see k-pop idols being successful or 
working hard in their dreams, it kind of motivates you to do the same. But it isn't that you can be a model minority; it's so you can be, you know, popular and well liked as some kind of celebrity or someone that people look up to. So it was an alternate way of representation as well. And people said it was cool to see how Asian people could be cool in K-pop as opposed、mm-hmm. to like in Western media where Asian people are like nerds or some kind、mm-hmm. of stereotype. And then I think the other main finding was that gender non-conforming participants said that the aesthetics of male K-pop idols kind of inspired them to、um, have their own style because they were able to provide things like makeup or like fashion inspiration, and people who were kind of like struggling with how to present gender-wise could take some, I guess. Inspiration or like a mood board from、mm. people from K-pop idol、mm. stages or how they dress and things like that because you couldn't really see another,、um, I think Asian American person who had the same kind of style. So it was a widely available type of aesthetic to draw、mm. from and to feel more confident in.、Um, I think we talked about social support that. It was cool to have fandom be a place because there's so many other queer Asian Americans in it, so you could kind of network and find that support through this affinity space because you already have something in common. So it's easy to talk and relate to others. And since it's mostly online, people felt safer because there was a degree of an- anonymity、um, to share more about each other and. People drew connections between being an anime fan and being a K-pop fan,、mm. both both communities which were largely represented online, and it's like a place of escapism in both being involved in the media and in also being involved in an online community where you can escape to somewhere else or escape to be a person you couldn't be in real life.、Mm-hmm. Um, what else? I have questions. If you're yes, or is that is your um your <laughs> do you have speech concluded? Speech your talk concluded. I don't want to interrupt, but I have questions. Okay, I feel like I don't have much else to say, but <laughs> yes, questions are open. <laughs> okay, I was trying to remember them while you were talking because I didn't want to interrupt because you were on a flow, but. Um, You're gonna interrupt it. I was struggling to find out what to say. <laughs> well, I thought you were like going through your paper, kind of like I don't know. We've all written、uh, like scientific papers, so like going through like the methodology, the introduction, you know, conclusion, all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I guess my <laughs> I have so many questions. Okay, my first question is, you said t- towards the beginning how the male K-pops, um, like style. K-pop stars, style, and wardrobe, and everything like that, like to a Western audience, would appear feminine, and so people or people saw that as like, like as inspiration or like you said a mood board, and you said how like, did you say how in Korea or in Asia that is seen as like 
She said masculine. it's like they're I don't masculine. What you said, but my question in general, not in spite of it, because because of that. Yeah. So my question was: Is that unique, or like, is that isolated just to K-pop or just to Asian entertainment, or is flowy outfits and um, I don't know, men wearing facial makeup is that accept? I don't know, accepted in like non-entertainment realms like in just everyday space or is it because they're k-pop stars and they're famous and they've made this look famous that that's why it's acceptable and seen as masculine now you get what Mm -hmm. i'm saying like yeah that's a good question um since i think k-pop is a huge industry that they're influencers so they can influence the greater Mm -hmm. population too i think there was this one thing that happened where Korean men got super into skincare because K-pop idols were doing uh, all these deals and like making it more popular but I think from our perspective since Asian men Asian American men are like demasculinized mm-hmm. right. or I don't like what is the actual word they're feminized or like yeah fe- yeah, yeah feminized um that it seems more feminine to us to see Asian men because if you look at not just in K-pop industry where in period dramas where they wear like robes and they mm-hmm. have long hair and things like that is not traditionally like Western white masculine characteristics come up. Um, so I think from our like Western view, they seem feminine no matter what. Um, but it is a good point that from the entertainment way, it's like a very specific subset of Asian men because Mm -hmm. they're young they're attractive they're like picked out of the population to kind of stand out on stage so it's definitely specific to the entertainment realm but as like influencers with a huge engagement there's some degree of influence that makes sense yeah I guess I was uh, asking more of like I guess (laughs) like the the chicken or the egg like which came first kind of thing but yeah that, that makes sense that of course, if you're popular in the media, you're going to be influencing it. That's how it happens around the world. So thanks. Um, I don't remember my other questions. So Sally, if you have other questions or anything. I don't have specific questions. I think everything you said made sense. Um, I liked. I liked your connection of how like what they give you, like what the K-pop stars, I guess, give you, which is like canon. Um, people can make and like add on to it and like write their own stories based off of that and um but i do see a lot of like what you said like the with the queer baiting it's like a really big thing um probably is probably getting more of the thing now i mean do you have something to add yeah that just reminded me of my question it's related to queer baiting that reminded me of my question okay i guess i'll finish i thought keep going so yeah it's i think it's becoming more of a thing now too (laughs) because i get i guess people are seeing or the companies are seeing that it's successful in like baiting people so they're probably like there's it's probably more widely used as like a quote-unquote marketing scheme um now but there is like i think also because of the like all the dating bands in like the industry they have like there's no like um 
there's nothing for them there's no like material for them to work off of if they have like like romantic interests with or they mm-hmm. like feed off of romantic interests with girls so they like in the music videos and like i don't know like their contents they do tend to have more like just members looking at each other lust like <laughs> lustfully in the music videos yeah. like <laughs> no one that's else. like the content that they're giving to their fans so i don't know so you're mm-hmm. saying as a fan since the mm-hmm. the actual celebrities aren't allowed to date you're looking toward to the music videos or like just like, like their content their con- all their not just music videos but their, their contents in general because they're not like really interacting with the like opposite gender idols like all they can do is interact within their groups <laughs> and like that's where i guess that's where oh, like okay. the queer baiting comes in and like it's more i guess it's more accessible to yeah i don't know <laughs> I think the other problem is that for women specifically, they tend to fetishize mm-hmm. relationships between two men. Um, so like they like might be fans? just projecting, yeah, because there okay. isn't another girl in the music video <laughs> for them to be jealous of. It feels oh. better to have the two men be together yeah. than have like a competing mm. woman in it's the, also, like, the, thought yeah, that, the like, situation or something. Um, if there's a girl in the music video, then like they probably can't compare it to her because. I don't know, but like, um, and if but if it's like two members from the same group, then like they're I don't know in the fan girl's mind they're like on equal level and like it's acceptable. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if they explained it, but. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Or is one girl and like the ten guys <laughs> in the video are like chasing after her, and it's like, what is this story? Yeah. Yeah, I guess Sally kind of answered my question uh, about queer baiting when, like, while she was explaining her question or answer, I guess. Yeah, because, um, like, I didn't realize that uh, that was a thing, I guess, queer baiting from the K-pop industry. But, yeah, I was more of just wondering, like, if they were doing that intentionally, like, I guess, as a, like Sally says, as a marketing scheme, or it's just how that happened, I guess just having the mm-hmm. such big uh male groups yeah it's kind of like the chicken and the egg thing like yeah. when you're performing like queer contacts um before or did the fans like rile them up and like get the companies more motivation to put it forward i mean there's things that are like culturally mm-hmm. specific like you know skinship is more like acceptable in what is skinship it's just like touching like friendly between people um Mm -hmm. and it's like more acceptable in the k-pop sphere um or like close friendships between people of the same gender i think that's the appeal because they see like people of a group be close and form bonds and that's the appeal of like watching their friendship or like watching their interactions which makes like (laughs) Yeah. A ripe feeding ground to <laughs> shipping because the interactions are so They're like so um, borderline between guess, platonic um, and close to each other sometimes. I guess yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. That makes sense when you think of it in the context of Western viewers or Western fans because in Western media that like never happens or <laughs> there's like sometimes bromances but it's always like bromances like you have to put the emphasis on that it's just platonic but like. Sometimes you'll have male co-stars, like, 
acting as like buddy buddy and like oh i love this guy but like no one takes that seriously so i guess from that context um the skinship or the closeness of like k drama well not k drama k-pop groups may seem like closer than we're used to i guess yeah that's interesting linda now after your finally years of slaving away working on this paper do you see um you do do you see yourself doing more research in this realm or continuing studied uh continued studies of like k-pop or like what now i guess Mm, i mean fandom itself has always been really interesting but as you mentioned slaving away i feel like (laughs) the ideas could have been imparted the same way if it was an academic journal if it was like a blog article or if it was some kind of article for a magazine or something so I do Mm want to keep writing but I think the time and rigorousness and the peer reviews were helpful in this instance because it validated what the ideas were because I think if I just put out an article by myself and didn't have the validation of my lab and my PI and the peer reviewers and this journal, I would have been like, are these ideas even real or mm. do these people really feel that way? But now that I've gotten like, I think validation from this, I feel better about just mm. writing things more casually. Um, yeah. Because then the information gets by a lot faster and then you can kind of communicate in a more casual way to your audience. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay, mate. Okay, I guess transition to the the final leg of this <laughs> triangle. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> basically we've talked about um what do you call that? Like K-drama is like what? Like movie, mm-hmm. like visual media, and then Linda is more like auditory media in terms of her um K-pop studies, and I am going to bring the literary media in terms of books um i don't know i guess i talk a lot about books on like offhandedly like on this podcast what i'm reading and stuff like that but this year i've gotten really into like reading i guess because i'm like out of school and i don't have to read for academics but now i can really read for pleasure and what i want to so and because of quarantine but i've read 31 books (laughs) this year so far I looked wow. at it on my, like, I keep track of it. and Your Goodreads? Yeah, that's kind of crazy because when I look at um, my past years, it's, like, maybe, like, four or, like, three or something like that. But now that I'm out of school, I'm really, like, popping off. So I'm not going to talk about all 31, but I've narrowed it down to, like, my top, like, three or four. I can't choose one, so I just decided to narrow it down a little bit like that. And... It's not a coincidence, but all all of them are written by Asian or Asian American authors. I think because this year when I set out, like in January, I was like, I set out an intention of like reading more um, books written by Asian or Asian Americans. So I guess I'll begin with my my like fifth level. What do you call that? Like fourth, fourth choice book. <laughs> oh, fourth low tier. tier. Yeah, like. <laughs> It was really good. It made the top like three or four, but um, it's called If I Had Your Face by Francis Cha. And okay, mm. basically, I've, I've mentioned all these books to you before, but I'm going really in depth here. 
Um, and so this book is contemporary fiction. So it does take place in contemporary Seoul, Korea. And it follows five women who live in the same apartment building. So that's basically how they're connected. And you find out later throughout the book that they all have the same connection to an orphanage as well. But it's kind of like given in bits and pieces because the book is told from mm. each chapter, like switches, and it's from each woman's perspective. So you kind of learn um, their backstory as you go along. And I, ha I wrote all their kind of like personalities, but it's basically based off of the plastic surgery, like beauty industry in South Korea. That's another main theme of the book. And so there's one um, woman who has had many plastic surgeries. And so she's like been altered and she works at a, it's called a salon room, but she works there. And her job is to please like rich businessmen. So she entertains them, kind of like keeps them occupied, you know, just accompanies them when they bring their friends um, and sometimes like business people to the rooms. And so um, the other women in the apartment, they like one of them wants to work there. She wants to get a um, she wants to get surgery on her face so she can look pretty and like join that room with the other person. And there's someone who is actually she's mute. She doesn't speak because of a traumatic experience that happened in her like country hometown. And so she works as a hairdresser. But from her perspective, you like learn about the rest of their lives and kind of what happened to her. And basically, it's a really interesting book, not only because of the switching perspectives, but because none of the men in the book are good. Like they're all trash. <laughs> and I I. I don't know if that's refreshing to some, but for me, I really enjoyed that because it was told from there, the woman's perspectives. And they, it wasn't like a, <laughs> sorry, Sally, it's not like a K-drama where they kind of all like are really close and they all get along. They're close, but in like a weird way where they're all there and sold to like be successful. Like they're all trying to climb up the ladder of success, but sometimes they have to be nasty towards each other. And sometimes they have to like deal with the, real circumstances and so basically it's kind of like a like how parasite took a look at class and and gender in korea like this is kind of the same um i guess if you were to analyze it it has that same kind of theme of what it takes mm -hmm. to be quote unquote like famous in korea and um even when they make choices that are like completely wrong and like you as a reader know that they're making bad choices you can't help but support them a little bit like cheer them on because you want them to reach success and so mm -hmm. you kind of see how they they don't necessarily have a friendship but they all interact in their lives like weave in a way and unfortunately this book is number f like five on my list because uh, it doesn't have a great like I wasn't satisfied by the ending but I think that was the point mm -hmm. like the author was like life isn't satisfying so it shouldn't mm -hmm. have a satisfying ending but it's like what Linda likes to say is like a little um, slice of life, but in mm. a... It's a gritty reality. A gritty way, like not in a wholesome way. It's like a real look at it. And it was the first time I've heard of like salon rooms in Korea. And I know that's, uh, I knew that plastic surgery was common, but yeah, it was a whole new like world to me. So I really recommend this book. And I pulled out quotes um. from each of my books that I'll recommend. So this quote that I pulled out really speaks to the the meat of the book and it's it's basic human nature this need to look down on someone to feel better about yourself that's true that's the quote 
Mm, I mean, so that kind of acts. Yeah, it's, it kind of like summarizes the book. So yeah, I would recommend it to actually both of you because I feel like you would both get a lot out of it, but like in different ways, I guess. Maybe I'll check it out. It does sound interesting. Okay. In what way? <laughs> in a way that like, I don't know, Sally likes to see like growth and like the way like people, the development you kept talking about. And it kind of has that, but some of them still stay like pretty miserable people, miserable people, but you kind of see how their lives do progress a little bit. And then Linda, it has all that slice like of life. <laughs> deep analysis, I guess. Yeah. Oh, in the slice of life. But yeah, the the more of the critiquey, critiquing angle, I guess. So yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess I'll move on to my next book. Um, this kind of switches it a little from contemporary soul to more of historical fiction, but also fantasy. It has a lot of fantastical elements. And it's The Poppy War by R.F. Kwan. Quang. And this author was, this book was recommended by Stefan. He's like really into it and his sister is into it. And it was really interesting because the author uh-huh. is only like two or three years older than us. She went to Georgetown to University, actually. So she is a, a local. I mean, now she like studies at Cambridge, so not that not close anymore. <laughs> but yeah, she brought her background and knowledge of um, Chinese history and I guess East Asian history in general to put together this kind of dystopian historical fiction novel. Um, it has a lot of wuxia themes. So if you like that kind of fighting fantastical element, it has that in it as well. And there's a lot of obvious parallels to like Japan, China, and that like conflict that happens. Um, and so if you know about that or the, um, you know, the fighting, the massacres that happen, it has that in the book, but all the countries have different names and stuff like that so it focuses on a main character named uh rin and it's kind of like that classic (laughs) like rags to riches she's a really poor girl who lives in the village and then she tests into an entrance exam and she gets into like this elite military academy so she's learning how to fight and everything like that and it has a lot of um those kind of school elements where there's bullies and stuff like that but then um, you find out that they're, that she's a shaman, and while at school, she learns how to connect with um, the gods, and one god in particular, and so how to like channel that energy. And it's really interesting, again, because I've never really learned that much about shamanism, and I, I didn't really know anything about that, so when it first, like, the the plot kind of switches a little it like threw me off, because I was expecting just like, you know, a classic like school girl kind of plot but mm-hmm. yeah so the elements of shamanism come in and then there's an outbreak and a war starts and so the second half of the book gets really into themes of like the ethics of war and like um they went to a milica- military academy but all of a sudden they're faced with like real combat and mm-hmm. what it means to actually like kill someone or fight and it has themes of guilt and like the personal responsibility you have to yourself and to your country oh. And it's really interesting. Um, I read the summary and it, it it summarizes it by saying like, how does someone go from fighting the oppressed, fighting for the oppressed? Because Rin, as like a poor girl, she was always bullied and could be seen as the one oppressed. And her country was oppressed by the other small like Japanese similar country. And then she later becomes the person that oppresses others and like is the one that people are fighting against. So. It, 
it has a lot of that kind of theme. I don't know. It's really interesting, and I think Sally, you might like it a lot because yeah. it has a lot of those fantastical elements, but also interesting. with a lot of history in it as well. Yeah. yeah, I really recommend it. It's a it's a long book. Like um, this one, I think is like around six hundred pages, but you flew <laughs> you flew through Cersei, so I'm sure you can get through list. this one. <laughs> my book list is gonna be your books. <laughs> Yes, please. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I could just send you the notes. Um, the quote that I pull from this is, if you hold the fate of the country in your hands, you have accepted your obligation to your people, then your life ceases to be your own. So it's like the idea of like when you start fighting a war and you, you're the mm. leader, you're igniting something that can't be taken That's back. It's so and you're crazy responsible that someone like close millions. to our age wrote this whole book. <laughs> yeah, it is a dense book and it has a lot of... There's like a few humorous passages, but it's it's a mm-hmm. it's kind of heavy at some points. Like it gets into like real things, even though it's so fantasy. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I recommend that book. It sounds um, kind of like takes a lot of energy to read because it gets into the thing where you're like a small speck in like mm-hmm. the the masses, and <laughs> it's something hard to come to terms with or like approach. Yeah, and it's really interesting because it's not told from her perspective. Like, she's not the one narrating it, but you do see her side of things a lot of times. And so you understand what she's dealing with. Oh. And I'm reading the second book right it's now. It's a series? Oh, so, wow. Yeah, there, it's a trilogy. Yeah, it's a trilogy. Um, the third one just came out. But I'm reading the second one, and I'm not trying to spoil it, but it gets more into the idea of um, self-guilt and mm-hmm. there's themes of like addiction in it and yeah it's pretty heavy in this one but I highly recommend it highly recommend um okay because we're running low on time I'll just skip to my number one book which surprisingly is not Cersei even though I've talked a lot about it and it's not Pachinko which I was going to talk about but the third book is Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng. And if that oh. name sounds familiar, it should sound familiar because she's also the uh, author of Little Fires Everywhere, which was like a big, um, what was it, HBO? Yeah. Mm, Hulu. Yeah. Right? Hulu. It was a big Hulu like series. But I actually read her first book. This is the fir- book she first wrote a while ago. And it's, again, another uh, mystery kind of psychological thriller type of book. And unlike um, the other books that I mentioned, this one reads really quickly. Like I wow. read this in under a day like very fast so um you can like read it pretty quickly uh, but it focuses on a chinese american family in the 1970s in like rural ohio so like your classic like yeah, picket fence book on house. <laughs> yeah but actually <laughs> Ooh, well maybe this will tempt you because it's a really really good book um yeah so basically the family is composed of marilyn who is actually a white woman who she ignored the traditional roles her mom wanted to follow when she was growing up. She wanted to be a doctor. And, like, since it's set in the 1970s, you, Marilyn, at growing up, would be, like, in the, uh, the, like, 50s. So she's, like, trying to face that discrimination, go to med school, until she meets her TA. <laughs> and her TA <laughs> is um, James, and he's a Chinese-American professor teaching Wait, American history. And so eventually they fall in love, and... Oh, becomes professor. Well, he's a TA when they meet, and then he becomes, like, a professor. So they do, like, yeah, I should explain this. They do, like, flashbacks, kind of like vignettes, where they go back to when they first met. 
but it's set when they're adults and he's a professor. And so they raise three kids who are obviously like half Chinese, half white. And the oldest son is like really ignored. He just wants to get out of the town and go to university. The middle sisters who the book is all focused on, her name is Lydia. And she's like the perfect daughter. She does excellent in school. She's supposedly well-liked. And then the younger daughter is like completely ignored. That's <laughs> like so weird. They, all, they mm. literally she hides under the table and they, they forget so about weird. her. Mm-hmm. And like the oldest and youngest get most attention, right? Mm-hmm. But you, f- you find out later why she's the one that's favored, and this why? goes into like the whole themes of the story because the whole plot of it is this is not a spoiler. You find out in the first chapter that Lydia's body is found in the river oh. or in the lake, like she drowned, and no one knows mm-hmm. what happened to her, and so that's what the whole book is set around this mystery of like what happened to Lydia, and so throughout the book you. Of course, there's a bad boy in the town that people suspect, but you find out that it's actually, I'm not going to spoil it, but a lot of it has to do with the family. And basically, reviews called it like a family portrait of like what it's like to be Chinese American living in this white rural town and the themes of like personal guilt and baggage behind bringing your kids there and the parents' own, the parents own experiences and guilt mm-hmm. and how that impacts how they raise their kids, especially Lydia. Because there's a lot of, like... Oh, my God. It's probably suicide, right? Oh, yeah. Don't say this. There's a lot of burdens and expectations placed on her specifically. And you'll find out why as you keep reading. And I don't know. It was such a... Like, I like a really good thriller and mystery. But it's it's not really about that at all. It's really about the family. And even though I didn't grow up in the 1970s, like, white Ohio town, (laughs) I could empathize with them. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I could really like empathize with that feeling of like not belonging but also like r- trying really hard to fit in and yeah it's so sad because it's one of those mm-hmm. books where you can relate to literally everyone like everyone does things that are really bad in this book but you can relate and understand why they did everything they did oh. and so I feel for the mom and the dad and the brother <laughs> and the sister even the bad boy I feel for him and it's just it like it like really like this book was all over the place in terms of my emotions. So yeah, if you really like those types of books where there's missed opportunities or like they could have said like something to so stop something. But, uh, like, and then, yeah, it is a frustrating yeah. book, but it's like, it kind of, it has a really good ending that okay. I think makes it all worth it. Um, so it's not like you're not left, you know, feeling horrible, but yeah, I really recommend mm. this book because it's told from each character's perspective as well. So you you get into their head of why they did a certain thing and you really like feel invested in this family. Anyway, Celeste is like such a great author that I would say forget about the Hulu series and just read her books. Um, Hulu series is good though. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's true. That's true. It was good, but this book is so good. Um, to conclude, I'll read the final quotes from my recommendations it's from this book and the quote is how had it begun question mark like everything with mothers and fathers because of lydia's mother and father because of her mothers and fathers mothers and fathers so basically it's saying that like everything has what is it an every, equal and opposite reaction like yeah. everything every you do is kind of like equal and opposite <laughs> reaction i don't know equal and opposite reaction <laughs> It's like um, whatever you do kind of like Mm -hmm. 
informs what happens next in the next generation and the like generation the after that. So. Or something. Mm. Well, it's not that like zoomed out. Like it only goes back to like the parents when they were younger. So it's not like a huge. It's not like Pachinko where it's like a whole like seven a generations book. But it is kind of like you see how something that happened in the parents like adolescence like influenced mm. how why Lydia is dead now basically mm. like there's we a talk about this connection at, we talk about this at work it's something called like ghosts in the nursery which is what? Wait, what? how we're just like the remnants of parents experiences gets passed mm. down subconsciously to the kid whether you see it or not and it's like this whole like psychoanalytic thing wait so, yeah yeah I think that's the exact thing then because mm-hmm. oh that's interesting I didn't know there was a term for that it's interesting that you talk about that because just today I was talking to my roommate and we were like I guess sharing our childhood traumas <laughs> and like basically talking about how our, our parents like raised us <laughs> oh and, really like, bonding um how we, like, we both went through kind of like strict parenting and like we had so many like activities to do mm-hmm. and like expectations I guess but like, and then we were like, when we have children, like we're gonna try. To, we're probably gonna be the same, even though we like as children we were like, we hated it so much. But then as when we're parents, we're probably gonna repeat the same thing that our parents did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. that's kind of what I was thinking when I was reading this book because it's really sad how the parents mm-hmm. they have good intentions behind everything they did, but like you're not the kid so you can't you can never understand like how it's impacting them and as much as like i don't know i feel like when you get to the stage where you're a parent you kind of forget maybe about like you can only see what it was like to be their age or or you don't know how to do anything otherwise yeah yeah Yeah. um in conclusion the book made me very (laughs) hesitant to be a parent Mm yeah yeah that's true i guess like going back to the story aspect i really like how ming described what was so compelling about each book and like the characters because i feel like all of them sound super heavy to read it's like it'll take so much energy to get invested i think it's because like i've been reading shonen manga for (laughs) such a long time or watching shonen anime or things like that where every emotion is so easy to come by and like satisfaction is Mm. so easy to get but I mean as may exemplify like the best emotional payoffs are kind of earned and as like an adult I feel like I'm regressing to escapism in k-pop or like in shonen anime where things are youthful and easy but I think all of Ming's stories had this really I think rich elements of conflict and things like that that make a narrative worth it to really invest in. Um, What's the last so thing I you read, read a book? book in the future? <laughs> Is that your conclusion? I need to read. Yeah. <laughs> I will say though, there like there is a time and place for all of these different entertainments, types of entertainment because I love watching K dramas, and like really, that's one of my favorite things about K dramas is how easily things come to it like the emotions are so obvious and you get so caught up very easily uh, but books I guess like I get caught up in them as, as well work. but like you said Lynn it yeah. takes more of like I have to like think you know like sometimes it hurts to think after work 
but it's like there's a time and place for all these um different types of media and i think that's really great that we all brought so many recommendations that you all should check out and they're all like asian asian american you know put some more of that on your screen instead of the same like white boy with blonde hair it's not no centipede <laughs> he has brown hair oh, but yeah well. yeah <laughs> maybe we can offer some other alternatives and you should if you're listening still you should check out linda's paper yes, we'll maybe link read it thoroughly on our website you know really get into that mm-hmm. apa <laughs> in citation form <laughs> apa <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to this very long extended episode uh, for this week. I hope that you found some recommendations that you might check out later on or right after this episode. I think we all gave a really good quality review. And if you do have free time, check out Linda's article. We'll link it in our um, episode show notes. Mm-hmm. And make sure to check out our website where you can find the show notes at movingoolongpod.com and you can find all our episodes there and show notes with the links if you like this episode you can follow us on instagram and subscribe on itunes or spotify we're also uploading these episodes on youtube so you can watch or listen until next time bye Bye.